you're tuned into Toby Talks, episode 23, when nursing and forensic science meet two sane nurses. So one of my favorite, favorite episodes is Law and Order SVU. And for the longest time, y'all don't laugh, but I was literally calling it Law and Order SUV. And somebody was like, it's not a SUV. It's not a vehicle. It's a SVU, Special Victims Unit. I was like, okay, calm down. It's not even that serious. But anywho, that's one of my favorite shows. And on that show, there is a forensic science nurse. You know, the African-American lady with the curly hair that's always like, you know, being able to get all the details of the lab work back to them. But I never knew that was an actual role, y'all. Like, for real, for real. Like, nurses are actually doing forensic science. I had no idea that was a real role. So, the one thing that I loved about that episode was also Detective Benson and her passion for solving crimes. And outside of that, she also is a dope person. Mariska Hardate, she is out there doing amazing with her Joyful Heart Foundation that is supporting sexual assault, domestic violence, and child abuse survivors. I'm like, what? So not only are we saving lives as a nurse, we are also saving lives in general by even bringing back that forensic science, that lab data to help victims who have gone through sexual assault. Today, I had the wonderful opportunity of interviewing Sarah and Charlene, two amazing SANE nurses. And SANE is actually an acronym for Sexual Assault Nurse Examiner. What? had no idea and they are literally sharing all the information about their role how they got into it and the details of like things that you've never even heard before you guys this is one of the dopest interviews i know i probably said this all the time you're probably thinking like all my interviews are dope which they are okay but this is a dope interview and i'm really excited so let me go ahead and hop into this you know what let me go ahead and just hop into this because i want to know like First of all, I want to know from both of you, how did you even fall into nursing? And then we're going to go into this forensic science type of nursing, girl. So, Charlene, tell me, how did you even get into nursing? Like, what sparked that interest for you? Um, So I feel like I don't really have the conventional story. I don't have like an aunt or a mom or a lot of people in my family who were in the nursing field. Um, But I kind of stumbled upon it because um, when I first started looking up majors that I wanted to do in college, I knew that I wanted to do forensic science at that point in my life. Um, But the schools that I was looking at to go to, they didn't have a forensics program. So I was like, okay, um, what are some of the closer uh, majors that I can study that can kind of get me into that field? So I started out doing clinical laboratory science. I did that for a year. Um, And then I realized like, wait, I actually don't want to sit in the lab all day. So I need to figure this out. So I kind of went back to the drawing board. Um, I started going to like different like meetings and conferences. And I went to one called the Law and Medicine. Mm. And they were going through different careers that integrate the law and medicine. So I was like, okay, okay. And then I saw forensic nursing and I was like, wait, what? And at this point I had never even considered nursing, but Mm. I also did know that I loved anatomy and physiology. That was one of my favorite classes. Um, So long story short, I realized that it was a career that merged what I love so much about like forensics and science with the anatomy and physiology human interaction side so when i decided to go into nursing it was more of a way to a me- like a an end to a means um type situation um so i applied to the nursing program but because i was already a year into my schooling 
Um, I did have some difficulties. I kind of had to cram all the prereqs into a summer and then try to apply to get into the program. But that's kind of where things started for me. Wow. And you said you ain't got an interesting story. Girl, that was very interesting. I have never (laughs) even like, I'm just blown away the fact that you even found out because I had no idea. So Sarah, tell me, how did you get into nursing and where did that stem from? So I actually have a couple of family members who are nurses. So I kind of always knew about nursing, um, but I kind of was more interested in the clinical like experience of school as opposed to just, you know, textbook um, cl- tests, mm-hmm. studying tests, which I mean, hey, it's just, it's not for everyone. It wasn't for me. And I just wasn't vibing with it. So then I went into nursing. Um, and it's just, it's kind of crazy because the timing of it, when I decided to go into nursing, uh, a couple of my family members and like close relatives got sick and they actually saw the type of interactions they had with the healthcare providers and it was always negative. Mm. And so I was like, you know what? Like, that's not right. You don't don't treat people like that. Like you don't, if they don't know what's going on, you should be giving them a little bit extra time and just let them understand. Um, And so it just kind of became like, you know what? I'm going to be what I think you should have been for my family because I want someone else's family to have that. Ooh, I know that's right. Girl, you better girl, come, I didn't girl. even know that. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. Charlene, you learn a new stuff today, too. Girl. <laughs> so I'm going to be completely honest with both of y'all. I had no idea. The only person that I ever knew that was a forensic science nurse and don't laugh at me, but this was okay. off a of Law and Order SVU, um, yes. and that was the only. I was like, I just thought that role was literally made up. So I was like, that's the only person that I know does forensic science, and she was like a nurse and all this stuff too. So I was so blown away when I got to like see you guys on Instagram and the fact that you guys are two same nurses. And when I first read that, I was like, oh, okay, maybe they're talking about mental health, like being sane. Like, okay, they're they're not. Yeah, yeah. And then I read mm-hmm. the acronym, and I was like. Oh, Oh my gosh, this law and order role is real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's actually really funny because um, actually recently somebody was asking me what's the difference of a sane nurse and a forensic nurse. And I said, you know, well, sane being a sexual assault nurse examiner is a type of forensic nurse. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, so if you're a forensic nurse, doesn't that mean you just like see dead people i'm like no like you can do so much with it so i mean right. it's still a very new um style of nursing it's still a new specialty and this but i mean it's growing fast right. wow and actually what's interesting too is that like for me to be honest like i actually never experienced forensic nursing through like the csi shows and the law and order like it was that at that conference that I went to was the first time that I had encountered it. So a lot of people are like, oh, you do forensics. Ha ha. You probably watch like Law and Order your whole life. But ironically, that wasn't really my experience either. Wow. So and when you went to that conference, though, you were still in undergrad, you were still in college right. and you went to mm-hmm. this conference. So I'm really right. glad that you pointed that out because I also try to share with a lot of people about the importance of going to conferences, even while you're in nursing school. And granted, I'm not going to lie. These conferences are disrespectfully expensive, especially if you already broke in college. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a lot of them have student discounts or you can actually win like, you know, um, actual, uh, what is it? You can win a chance to go for free. But these conferences expose so much more than what we see 
in our clinical settings and sometimes even in the classroom settings. Because I know when I was in nursing school, there was no subject about forensic science and there was no clinical rotation following a forensic science nurse and what they do. So can you guys share with me how you even fell into forensic science as a profession? Um, well, I'll start. Um, so I actually am an emergency department nurse. And so that's where I started right after I graduated. Um, and so these people who come in for sexual assault come in in the ER. So I was actually kind of exposed to it because those are kind of the clientele um, that we will see, but mm-hmm. you have to be specialized and have special training in order to see these patients. And so whenever you would see a patient come in for that, And you'd be like, oh, what's going on? Why is nobody allowed to go into that room? Like registration won't go in. X-ray is hesitant to go in. Lab is hesitant to go in. Doctors don't even go in until the same nurse says it's okay. So I'm just like, what is this culture? Like, this is interesting. But the fact like in our hospital, the demand was very high and the amount of sane nurses was really low. So they were getting really burnt out. And so then I was like, you know what? This is actually really interesting. Uh, let me go to training and see what this is about. And that's how I started. And it's very rewarding. Mm. And Charlene, how did you start? Um, so I started a little bit of an odd way. Um, so when I, I went to nursing school in Michigan, um, I grew up in New York and then my family moved to New Jersey. So while I was in nursing school, it was kind of hard for me to figure out where I'd be working and things like that because I was going to be moving like back to the East Coast. Um, so as soon as I graduated, I started looking up like, how do I get into this job? Because once I finished nursing school, the next step was now forensics. Um, so I started doing my research and there was nothing online, like mm. absolutely nothing. Um, but I was determined. So I remember I came to my parents' house and once again, there was a conference. It was a local uh, sexual assault and nurse examiner uh, conference. And I signed up to go. And I had started looking up the names of the coordinators for these programs, for these sexual assault and nurse examiner programs. I was emailing them and um, I got one response back, ironically, from the county that I would be living in. And she said, well, you know, because of the confidentiality of this work, um, because I asked for an internship or a shadowing opportunity because this was a new field. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was important for me to do that. And she said, because of the confidentiality, uh, I'm unable to allow you to do that. But get some nursing experience and you can apply and, you know, we can talk from there. Um, but I just kept emailing different coordinators in different uh, counties to see what opportunities would come up. And, you know, years went by, maybe a year, two years, I didn't hear anything back. And so I signed up to go to this conference. And while I was there, I was alone. Um, And while I was there, I heard somebody mention the name out loud of the local coordinator for my area. And I turned around and I said, this is my opportunity. And so I walked over to her and I was like, hey, I'm the girl who's been emailing you Mm. and I am a nurse now and I am interested in a position. Like, what can we do about Grab your blessing. She said, grab my blessing today. (laughs) You ain't going nowhere. I was was scared out of my mind, but she was so nice. And she was like, absolutely send me your resume, blah, blah, blah. So I sent her my resume and still a couple months passed by. I didn't hear anything. And I, not going to lie, I was completely discouraged. And I said, you know what, like, 
maybe this is not really a field. Like maybe I need to just go into regular, you know, bedside nursing. Um, and so I kind of stopped. I backed away for a little while. A couple months passed and I decided to go on a mission trip to Asia. Um, and as soon as I landed in Asia, I got an email saying, hey, we would love to interview you. And I was like, wait, God, like I am out of the country for a month. And now you want to like set up this wow. interview? I panicked. I panicked and I said, you know, oh my goodness, should I fly back? Should I cut my trip short? Like, this is my dream. This is what I've been waiting to do forever. And um, I spoke to a couple of people and they said, you know, just trust. Like, trust that this, mm-hmm. is, you know, this is what you're supposed to do, that they'll wait for you to get back. And they did. Um, so she pretty much, like, hired me on at the interview, and it's been, like, amazing since. But that's my story. Wow. Let me tell you something. I love the fact that I have both of you on showing me two different sides of how you got into this. One is yeah. from the ER standpoint, seeing the high, um, the high incidence of the kind of patients you're seeing and not having enough same nurses there. And then I'm seeing another one who was just putting out all her efforts at these conferences mm-hmm. and networking to get to this field. And I like that you guys are sharing that because that's the reality and truth about finding some of these different fields in nursing. It's almost that you got to just see where the need is or put yourself out there so much to kind of discover it. So I kind of want to, because it seems like both of y'all work two different kind of um, shifts or two different kind of schedules. So Sarah, you work in the ER, but being a SANE nurse, does that change your schedule or is that just, is it almost like you're, you're the go-to girl when any of the patients who have a sexual assault incident comes in to see like, what does your schedule look like? And then Charlene, I would like to know what your schedule looks like being a same nurse. So I'm a full-time ER nurse. So I work my normal three twelves a week. And then um, we're actually really lucky because over the years, we have uh, sent so many new nurses uh, to become SANEs. And so now we have a team of, we actually made our own forensic department and we have a team of like 26 SANEs now Ooh, coming from yeah. like four. That is so yes. good. So yeah. it is awesome because uh, we can split up like call time. So I work my 312s in the ER. And then we do also sometimes part of that we do six hours of soft sane, which means like in the ER, you don't take any patients. Um, you're just kind of like a flow, like a resource person just helping out. And you're just basically helping out until a forensic patient comes in. If it comes in, then it's all you. But then if I'm there for six hours doing that, if it's, you know, 6 p.m. to midnight and it comes in, if the patient comes in at 11.15, I still have to take it. Okay. So then that will go over to however long it takes till you're done. And then it's really not that bad since we have so many people now, but we just have to do on-call hours just to make sure that our department's covered 24-7. Okay. Awesome. So that's the ER standpoint and and bedside. Mm -hmm. So then Charlene, you kind of give me a little insight on your schedule, your hours, and the kind of um, clinical setting you work in. Yeah. So uh, what I actually, that kind of ties into the fact of how we kind of came to it differently is because um, every state handles their program a little bit differently. So each state is allowed to kind of decide on the jurisdiction of what forensic nurses can do and what aspect they practice in. Um, And so luckily we're kind of, because this specialty is new, we're all creating it together. Mm -hmm. Um, So in New Jersey, where I am now, 
We work as a part of the prosecutor's office with the special victims unit. Um, so it's actually an entity outside of the hospital. And then we cover the different hospitals in that county okay. um, as opposed to working in the emergency room. So that's why it's a little more difficult in uh, Jersey as opposed to other states to kind of figure out how to get into the program. Mm. Um, so the way that we do it is I actually work as a, I work in telemetry step down um, and also the cardiac cath lab. So I'll do my hours there. Um, I'm per diem in both. So I kind of just jump around wherever I feel like it. And then I'm required to do 72 on-call hours. So during those on-call hours, I'll schedule them, schedule them on my off days from the hospital. And then I'm just required to be within an hour distance of the hospital. So, you know, I can be home doing my errands and things like that. I don't have to be in the hospital during that time because I don't technically work for those hospitals. Okay. I work for the prosecutor's office. So it's a little different. So that means when they call you, you when they call you, it's because they have a, a victim that they want you to come Correct. do your assessments on. Wow. Right. That is pretty mm -hmm. awesome. So can you guys jump in a little bit deeper on to what is it that you do as a SANE nurse? Like walk me through that process of when a victim comes in from sexual assault, what is it that you guys do? What steps do you take? And, and, um, and kind of just walk me through that. Yeah. So um, that's also very different. So I'll give what we do in Jersey and then share, Sarah can share uh, how the Midwest is different as well. Um, so in Jersey, what we do usually is when we're activated, we'll call into the hospital ahead and we'll find out, you know, a little bit of what the background is um, because we get such a wide variety of different cases. You kind of need to know what angle to approach the situation if I need to call my supervisor for, you know, advice on different things that come in. So we'll call ahead. We'll ask them to get, we have a special cart with all of our supplies um, and we usually use the uh, OBGYN room because mm -hmm. we need a bed that has the stirrups um, and the speculums and things like that. Uh, so we'll call ahead to get that ready. Uh, at times, if necessary, we are allowed to speak with the survivor on the phone to also kind of get a better idea of what they are interested in because we don't do anything without consent. Um, we cannot treat, we cannot... Uh, perform any type of specimen collection until the patient consents that they are looking to either just have the kit done without legal prosecution mm -hmm. or uh, if they want to go forward with legal prosecution. Those are all different avenues that can be taken. So we uh, speak to them a little bit to find out specifically what it is they're interested in. They are also offered an advocate uh, as a part of the team, it's a nurse, a detective, and a patient advocate, if that's something that they're interested in, just to be with there with them uh, for, like, uh, mental and psychological support, as, you know, it is a very traumatic time and mm -hmm. process. Um, so we'll find that out. We'll head over to the hospital, and we start by doing um, a forensic interview. Um, so we'll sit down. We'll explain to them you know, what our job is and how we're here to help them. Um, and they can consent, like I said, to which part of our services they are interested in. Then we just kind of start going through the story of what happened. Um, so they'll share a little bit with us about what happened. And we 
do document that. So documentation is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, being involved in the legal system, we have to make sure everything is pretty much down to a T, um, very objective, not subjective at all. So luckily, me and Sarah have been able to go to a lot of conferences to kind of learn how to get our legal side more uh, fine-tuned. So we will do the documentation of the event that occurred. um, And after the documentation, we will do our assessments, physical assessments, a head-to-toe. And after the head-to-toe, making sure that they are medically stable is when we will start going into the specimen collection. So we'll look for bruising, um, you know, just on... At the naked eye level, we'll look for bruising. We will take pictures if needed. Um, we'll take pictures. And then based on what the story uh, that we were given, then we will start our specimen collection. So we will collect underwear. We will collect uh, if there's any debris such as hair or maybe like dirt if the event occurred outside Um, or just anything that may have been taken from the scene of the incident. Then we will continue with our speculum exams, uh, which are similar to what is done in the OBGYN office. Um, And while we do the speculums, we will collect uh, vaginal uh, specimen um, and the cervical uh, specimen as well. Um, So we kind of go through that. And then we also will do a drug facilitated kit, which is for patients who state that they were assaulted uh, under the influence or if they feel that there was date rape involved, Mm. we'll do a urine and blood specimen as well. Um, However, for our program, because of the legal sides as well, we are not able to collect the specimen. So we do have to have the assistance of the hospital staff. To help us as far as like collecting for some reason the urine and the blood. Um, so all of this is covered by the state. The patient is not charged through their insurance for any of this care, which is okay. pretty awesome. Wow, that's really um, good. Un- yeah, it's really nice. And you know, obviously during that time, you don't want to be worried about can I afford this ER bill. Yeah. So that's um, really nice. Unfortunately, Do you share that with patients? Like when they, when yes. they come, you let them know ahead of time. Cause I know that might be a fear too. Like I don't, I don't want a hospital bill. I just want to, you know, right. and so y'all share that information too with them. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not, I wouldn't say that's the first conversation that I have with them, but um, it does come up as we start going through what services are available to them. Because unfortunately I also have to share what services are not available through the program. Um, so right now in Jersey, unfortunately, we do not do STD testing um, through our program. If the survivor is interested in that, that is an additional cost through the hospital. However, we do give prophylaxis medication. We do plan B um, and we'll do other antibiotics like amoxicillin, um, doxy and things like that as prophylaxis against certain STDs. But unfortunately, we have to refer them to Planned Parenthood or other clinics if they're interested in STD testing. So I have to unfortunately make that very clear so that they don't end up with an additional bill. Um, but I do know it's a lot different in Indiana. So Sarah, if you want to share a little bit how you guys do it. Yeah, Sarah, hop on in, girl, because this is a lot of gems. <laughs> so I want to hear from like your standpoint from the ER sector too. Like, Tell me, what, yeah. what's that about? 
So basically the survivor will walk in and, you know, they say, Hey, I want to be seen because I was assaulted. And so the first thing that we do is just make sure, um, number one, do you want to report? Do you want me to help you with making a report to the police? And then also like Charlene says, um, we also offer them if they want an SOS advocate in our county. We have a really good program um, where they actually have their own volunteer program who gets called out. So everything is totally confidential. Some people want it because it's nice to have like a support person who doesn't know you to be there for you. And for other people, it's kind of like, I don't want some random person that I might see in the street listening to my story. So yeah. it's a hit or miss. It's like 50-50. Um, and so then once we do that, um, we start with uh, um, our medical history. So what happened? What's going on? What are your complaints? Um, and that also does kind of help us with our actual forensic exam to know where we're getting the specimens for, if we need to focus on it. And the cool thing about the specimen, like the evidence kit or the rape kit, is that it has like a million swabs in there. It has a million envelopes. So after I go with like all the paperwork, because um, we do our Indiana State Crime Fund too, and that's completely covered in Indiana also. I go over all that with them. And then when we actually go into do their medical and forensic evaluation, it will say like swab their mouth, swab, uh, comb their hair, swab their hands, swab their fingernails, um, swab. Uh, there's like so many and then like any area where they may have like touched them like where there would be a foreign dna on them like whether it's their neck their face their wrist their hands um and then it goes into the more private areas like external internal genitalia anus things like that mm. um so doing that we do do the speculum exam as well and we photograph everything unless um, like hands palms fingernails even if it looks normal um, the reason that we also take it and we always get consent so we either say would you like to get photo documentation and this would be only passed on to law enforcement as evidence that's the only reason that we would do it so it's really up to you like there's no yes or no answer um, and so if they want that then it would just be because they're prosecuting against whoever and they want to use that as evidence. Like, Hey, I have this bruise right here. Hey, I have foreign DNA on me. That's not mine. So, um, when we do the speculum uh, specifically, we try to be very careful with getting our photo documentation because we try to get good pictures of the, like inside the vaginal vault of the cervix to see if there's any bruising. Um, and there's only one in the last three years that I've had where I actually, um, was able to get a picture of a bruise on a cervix and it was like the coolest thing ever wow. but that it was just kind of like you can't do that like i mean that had to have hurt mm -hmm. so that's like really really good evidence mm -hmm. and so i mean that was really cool um and so then after we do our complete assessment i will go ahead and uh we provide all the medications for prophylaxis for like stds as well and then we also give ella um, and then we, for like emergency contraceptive, um, and then we give them, um, STD testing as well, just to know what your first status was, just in case if you need to tell anybody, just because of what you're coming in for, you would yeah. never know if you had it before or not. So you test to see what their current state is, which has, and people are kind of nervous about that 
um, because they think, well, if I come up like yes for something, doesn't that make me look bad? And I said, no, absolutely not. It has nothing to do with what you're coming in for today because that's what a lot of survivors are worried about. Like if we go to trial and it's going to be like, um, well, you say you're assaulted, but, and then they try to use anything against them. Mm, wow. So that's always a huge concern. Right. Um, but believe it or not, that has never come up. Like no defense attorney has ever tried to bring that up. Cause I think they just know not to even mess with that part. Yeah. It's, it's that's not terrible. Black and white. Go into that exactly. kind of area. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then after that, um, we have our, we pick whatever physician we want to see them, just depending on what time it is, like shift change and, you know, who would just fit their personality better type of thing. Um, And then we just get them medically cleared um, and then just get them going. If they are at a risk for like obtaining HIV from whoever the assailant is, because A, they don't know they had a lot of injuries or B, they do know their status and they're positive. Then we also start them off on HIV medicines right at the hospital too. So we give them the 30 days uh, prophylaxis treatment and we just give them the whole bottle and they're able to take that. And then the cool thing about us is because since we have a forensic department, we actually made our own follow-up clinic now that we actually became a department. So I can, and I tell you like when I'm about to discharge you, Hey, so we would like to see you in our follow-up clinic and it's at two weeks, six weeks and at three months and the two weeks we're going to, you know, check for pregnancy again. If you have any like discomfort or discharge or anything where you would need another speculum pelvic exam, we can repeat that. Um, but the biggest thing is to make sure, Hey, how are you doing two weeks out? Is there anything we can help you with? And the most important thing is even if we give you Ella, you just want like that confirmation. I'm not pregnant type of scare yeah and so I mean, then, wow y'all are really giving a really good amount of resources and information um, information to patients in this traumatic time man i didn't realize so much went into this yeah and the thing is most people don't like unless you're in that situation and you go in and it's whether that hospital has the resources or not. It's just you have no idea what to ask for. I mean, it's not publicly announced. Um, I mean, you know, the only reason I would know it is because I was trained to do this. Wow. And so, like, the fact that, like, I don't know if another nearby hospital, I'm pretty sure um, their hospital doesn't do any of this. And the only thing that they do is like they swab because in the box and the evidence kit, it tells you what to do. Like you could technically not be trained. You could be any RN in any ER and still do it. And that's totally fine. It's still, it works. However, when you go to court, you're probably going to want to pee your pants because you're like, I read a piece of paper and I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> right. but it's still viable, but that's just more like incentive for people to be ripped apart in court mm-hmm. and by defense attorney. And that's, and that's frightening. So I know a couple of nurses that came in by our, um, by a nearby hospital and they came over to work with us and they were like, Oh crap. We would like literally draw straws. <sighs> And wow. then you would never like go near that room again. Cause it was terrifying. You never wanted to do it. And you had to take turns. Like I did it last time. Nope. It's not me. Cause they don't know what they're doing. Wow. So, that's so terrifying. I really want to, cause as we talk more about this and, and we know that women go through, um, you know, or I don't know. I remember I asked a question one time in a room, how many women have been sexually assaulted and the whole room raised their hands. And it's almost wow. like a, like, wow. Like how, 
evident that is, you know? And I just want to know in this field that you guys are constantly working and having to see women in this kind of very traumatic setting, what does that do? How is that impactful to you guys? Like, what is the, what is the ups and downs that you see in this kind of role? Because I know, you know, every role in nursing has that, you know, there's um, nurses that work in cancer centers that, you know, it's very hard to see um, patients sick like that. Um, coming from pediatrics and, and working in NICU, it was hard for me to see these little guys and it was hard for me to take care of sick kids, but it's what I did. So what, what is something that's really hard for you guys that's challenging, but also at the same time is uplifting for you in this role? Um, for me, I would say what kind of makes it work for me is uh, remembering every time like I get called out on a case, like why I'm there. And one thing my supervisor always tells me, because the reality of the matter is sometimes we do get called in for false cases, um, for people making accusations that are not true. Um, but regardless of what the situation is, I'm not there to determine that. I'm there to be there for that individual because it's actually guys and girls that we do get. I'm there to be there for them in whatever capacity that is. So whether it is just a support system, whether it is to assist them in the legal processing by performing the kit, but whatever the reason this person felt the need to come to the ER seeking support and I got to be there for them in that time of need where they seem may have thought to have no one else to go to or no one else to go to. Um, so that's kind of something that I remember, something that keeps my spirits up um, when I'm there with them. And I remind myself, you know, this is not about me. This is not about being called at two o'clock in the morning and I'm tired. Like, I need to be there for them. Um, but I also have to remember to take care of myself so that I can also pour into them during mm -hmm. these situations as well. And Sarah, what about you? What, what is the challenging part, but also lifting, lifting part, uplifting part of this, um, of this profession that you've gone into? You know, it's actually really interesting that we're talking about this because I just got back um, a week ago from a work conference for trauma stewardship regarding sexual assault. So there were prosecutors there, there were investigators there, there were caseworkers there, there were nurses there. And it was just basically, what can we do to um, help ourselves since we're in this field where we see survivors constantly coming in in trauma and we're the ones that have to deal with it and hear it and then you know try to just turn it off and go home like what are good ways to cope with it so I actually went to that because I felt like it was really frustrating when I would do these cases and I know I'm just there just to do their cases and um you know just make sure they're okay and I'm, t I'm and I'm totally fine with that. But then I get subpoenaed for them and I'm looking through their chart a year later and I'm like, okay, so I get subpoenaed for court. All right. Court date is this day. I do my pretrial at the prosecutor's office. Okay, cool. And then I remember the patient, like, cause I looked through my pictures. I look back at my paper chart because the subpoena gives me the whole chart from the hospital. So I can mm -hmm. review everything before court. And I remember like the ones, there are certain ones I remember, I'm like, oh man, this one was bad. Like this was awful. And then in the last minute, like something will happen and I won't go to court because either 
the girl doesn't want to report anymore and they you know take it back or the guy pleads out but he gets like probation like mm. and it's just like really really frustrating because it's like okay i'm trying to help but i feel like what is this like the I just feel like sometimes the government just doesn't work the way I would like it. And it's not very white. <laughs> and I'm just right. like, bruh, really? Like that was just clean wow. cut. Really? Yeah. So I just was kind of, I was starting to get a little burnt out from that. Um, but going to the conference was actually really, really helpful because they were giving me, there was a room full of uh, survivors and people, advocates and uh, prosecutors and nurses who have also had the experience of being a survivor and just being in that room and understanding number one, like it was just kind of rewarding to see, oh, this is why I'm doing this. It was just, um, there was so much gratitude in there and everybody was just so in love and passionate about what they do. And even if that was stressful, it was almost like a reset because the fact that, oh, I can actually do this for someone. And wow. also, you know, they had yoga and all that stuff. So that was, yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, my yoga pants and stretch real quick. Right. And they were just talking about have your glass of wine or a bottle. I'm like, hey, I can dig this right now. Hello? I'm, I'm all about and I love that you're sharing that because those are the truth about going to some of these networking engagements and conferences. These are, these are things that get poured back into you that continue to give you motivation to continue doing what you're doing. Cause in every field, you know, there are frustrating parts where we just like, you know what, this is it. I'm going to go to another, I'm going to quit. or I'm going to go into another field outside of nursing, but there are resources right. to kind of help us. And these conferences are really, really big. Um, but I kind of want to switch gears a little bit. I know we've been talking in depth about what you guys do and, and um, the ups and downs. How did you like, I want to make sure that um, we capture how to become a sane nurse. So I know you were already a nurse. So obviously becoming a nurse was one of the right. first steps. Um, how right. long did you have yeah. to be in nurse, being nursing? Or is it something that as a new grad, I can come out and say, okay, this is my a goal to be a sane nurse. How do I hit those steps? So can you kind of share with me, like, what are the requirements to becoming a, um, a sane nurse or even going into forensic science? Um, the length of years as a nurse, or if there is any requirements at all, what, what can you guys share with us? So according to the IAFN, like the International Association of Forensic Nursing, technically the only rule that you really need is to be a registered nurse. Um, Ooh, you nice. don't, they, yeah, they don't say there is a minimum amount of years that you have to be a nurse. However, I, I, and I think any nurse would highly recommend you kind of need to know, you need to have some experience before you do a specialty. So whether you just try to like get a little bit of experience and do your orientation for, you know, three months in whatever field, but I mean, you need to be able to do the basics right out of nursing school, because even though you learn it in nursing school, if you don't apply it and as your job, it's going to be really, really hard for you to understand a lot of what you're doing um, when you're actually being a same nurse too. Yeah. Like it's still a specialty of nursing. So a lot of people are like, you know, I don't want to start med surge. I just want to go straight into a specialty and you can do that. That's fine. Um, but they're still going to teach you like the basics. In sane nursing, there is no basics that you learn of nursing. 
it's just forensics that they're teaching you to add on to your basis right. of nursing. Mm. So with yeah. that, I would encourage someone at least be a nurse for six months at least. Then I would say that's minimum really. Mm. Um, just enough where you can get your feet wet, kind of get a general idea. I mean, not confident. Nobody's ever confident in nursing, I don't think. Mm-mm. But just enough to know a little bit of the flow and just you know feel like, okay, I'm a nurse. I know, I feel like I generally know what I'm doing. Now let me jump into a specialty. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would um, say Um, to actually become a SANE certified nurse. You need to be actually, there are actual regulations for that. So there's difference being SANE trained and SANE certified. So Charlene and I are both saying trained. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to take boards from IFN to be saying A, so that would be adults and adolescents, and saying B, that would be or P, which is pediatrics. Mm. And so that's like taking NCLEX, basically. All over again. Oh, Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's worth it. Cause I mean, this is like, you know, your specialty. So would you advise someone to, you know, start off with the training aspect and then once they've gained a lot of experience in the training aspect, then go and sit down to be certified? Yeah, I would say so. Definitely. Because, um, for me in nursing, the, um, didactic part along with application has really been how I learned and I can't really see how you could go sit down to take uh, the certification test without really uh, already being hands-on in the field. Um, but even in addition to that, there are master's programs and other certifications that you can get Um, that are not necessarily a board certification. So there are other universities um, that have Masters of Science uh, in Forensic Nursing specialty programs. There are DNP programs with a focus in forensics. There are other parts of forensic nursing, like being a certified legal nurse consultant, which is Mm -hmm. where you pretty much only do consulting for uh, legal um, programs in different, you know, it could be an insurance company, medical companies, but you are testifying in court as a medical witness. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of different ways to do that. But like I said, there's certificates, there's master's programs. So whatever kind of works for you, you get to make work. And if going back to school doesn't work, that's fine as well. You can just do the training. Um, Although it is just a training, we did have to do an online 40-hour course, which can be found on the IAFN website. Um, It is uh, the same training course as 40 hours. And usually if you're hired first, your department will pay for it. It is a little bit expensive, but if you want to do it on your own, that's fine as well. So you'll do the 40-hour online course, and then the rest of training will be in person um, doing... I did a clinical where I actually just did speculum exams all day on human beings. So not even dummies. Like There were, I guess, gynecology assistants, Mm -hmm. and they just let us practice speculum exams on them. Which is a pretty promising career if anyone is interested. But um, yeah, no, they make good money. I mean, obviously, you know, you're letting them, they're letting you do this to them. But um, yeah, so that's what we did. And then we uh, would do one case shadowing, one case assist, and then one case on your own with supervision. 
um, is kind of how the training went after that. So that's kind of how you can get into it. But whatever your considerations are around time or money, you can definitely make it work for you. Like it doesn't have to look like a master's program. It doesn't have to look like a doctorate. And did your pace change once you kind of went through the same process um, and became, you know, trainers and or, or been trained and saying, do you get like an incentive? Is your pay slightly increased from that? Or is it like, no, we're still regular nurses. We're just, this is our specialty in this area. Um, for me, because like I said, I don't work for the hospitals, for the prosecutor's office. So we get paid an on-call rate. And then when you get called in to do a case, you get an additional uh, pay for doing the kit. So actually more of the money comes from doing an actual case, but you do get like a minimal on-call fee. But I'm sure it's different for Sarah. Yeah, Sarah, share for, with me. What's your, what yours like? Yeah, so for us, it just kind of depends on when we do the case. So if I get pulled from staffing when I was in the ER and I get pulled from staffing to do a sane case, um, then my base pay goes up to a forensic pay, which is more. So we do get a little bit more of an incentive um, for being trained to do adolescents and adults and then also pediatrics on top of that. So then I would get paid more, but if I'm on call then and I get called in, then I get the on call in time and a half. Mm. So yeah, it just kind of depends. And then we have our uh, sister hospital that's about maybe 45 minutes away from us. If we go to that one, then we get a flat like 250 250 just for going because there's no incentive for us to go other than the 250 and then you get your time and a half from the time that you leave out to the time you come back home okay which is nice yeah, money i know, I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. y'all saving lives and get paid come on God is good. <laughs> so as we start to get toward the end, I really, really want you guys to share with me what the two sane nurse is about. I know I'm following you guys on Instagram, but I see that you guys are really trying to bring to the forefront about what you guys do. So I want you to take a few minutes and share with me what you guys do collectively. Because I mean, you got one in Indiana, one in New Jersey. Y'all are doing it far away from each other. So, so explain that to me and, and how can... Um, people who are interested in this field or in this field already, you know, have resources to get to you guys. Tell me about it. Yeah. So I would say, you know, kind of pedaling back to what you were saying about some of the frustrations uh, in the specialty and the job as Sarah shared, you know, some of our frustrations with maybe how the legal system handles some of the cases and we work so hard with our survivors and sometimes things don't go forward. Um, so I think we both kind of recognize that there was a lack. And I think that's where our drive and passion started to build. Um, so I guess on my end, I noticed there was a lack in education as far as, one, what services were offered. So I would have patients coming into the ER and saying, well, I just want STD t I was assaulted and I just want STD testing. But because that's not what the program offers, they now have a hospital bill, and then the state has to still pay me for coming out just to tell you that I can't do your STD testing. Wow. And so I was getting a little frustrated, like, who is educating these people about what resources are available to them in the event that they are assaulted? Yeah. And I was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. And then I had another case where um, I had a college student who she was assaulted and her main concern is like, people are going to say it's my fault. My, my family's going to blame me. No one's going to believe me. And yeah. all of the stories that she was telling me of 
the backlash that she would receive. I'm like, who is telling these people these things? Like, why is this the culture in our schools and in our young adult population? Like, something has to be done. And so we kind of both started noticing these things that were bothering us. And we wanted to also do something different, like get away from the bedside. I think that was huge. Also, when we first started talking about it, like we want to do something away from the bedside. Um, So we started to St. RNs uh, and we go to different schools and kind of educate. Um, Hey, this is what consent is about. This is what Hmm. resources are available to you in the event that you are sexually assaulted. Um, And just kind of trying to change the conversation around sexual assault and also saving money for everybody, saving money for these state-run programs, saving money for these schools who are getting sued, you know, for not handling these cases properly, and just educating, educating, educating is kind of what we are focused on uh, right now. And Sarah can kind of share more on that as well. I mean, I think you got that, like, (laughs) perfectly. So I don't really feel like I have much to add. I mean, I think you represented it very well. Wow. I am so blown away by you ladies. Like, thank you. Because I know doing something, you know, off the, what is it? Side hustle. Doing a side hustle (laughs) is hard when you got full-time jobs already, you know, when you're trying to balance life out, but your, your side hustle is not even about you. It's about educating the community, educating students, educate, educating patients. And I love that you guys are doing that. And I am just so honored to even have you guys on here sharing so much insight. Like y'all taught me, like when I watch Law and Order now, my whole view going to change. I'm going to be like, sister, I see you, girl. I got a whole community out there doing this. And, and I love that you're bringing the awareness and sharing this information. So how can people reach out to you? Um, where you guys are or what kind of social media platform are you guys on? Can you share that so that people can find you? Yeah, so we're actually going to be going to the International Association of Forensic Nursing Conference at the end of October. We'll be in Reno, Nevada. Um, so we do, yeah, so we're super excited about that. We're going to have a nurses meetup um, just to kind of start getting involvement uh, from our community in this work, you know, because better together. Like, we don't want to do this alone. We want the community with us, educating yes. us and spreading this message like far and wide. So we're going to be doing a meetup. So um, we do have our Instagram page, which people can keep uh, for updates, where we'll be, what we'll be, what we'll be doing. Um, and on that page, we also, if anyone has questions about how to get into forensic nursing, because like I said, when you Google, it's not out there. Mm-hmm. It's just really not out there. Um, so having a resource that you can reach out to is much better. We're open to answering all questions. Um, so we do have Instagram to St. RNs. We are on Twitter and Facebook. Yay. Well, girls, thank you so much for all the information you shared. Thank you for your time. And I applaud you women so much. You continue to be out there being amazing. And if you like, go ahead and share some advice or some gems for some of the students out there that are probably struggling to figure out where they're going to go into, or even a nurse who probably feels like giving up and doesn't know that this is a career opportunity. Would you like to just share some inspiration or some encouraging words to keep them going? Uh, What I can say is I know for sure I went to nursing wanting to go into so many 
specific specialties that I thought I wanted to do and every single one of them failed me when I went to clinicals and I was just like okay so there are there's nothing left for me to do when I become a nurse because I've done my clinicals and psych is not for me and OB and P's are not for me so it was kind of a little frustrating um and the only reason I tried doing it was in my mind okay I'll try ER or ICU just because I feel like I'll learn a lot and it's at least faster pace. And all I can say is if you don't like it, even once you start it, that's fine. Just do your whole orientation or just tell them, hey, this is not for you. Thank you for the experience. And there will be no hard feelings and just move on to the next one. And always feel free. Even if you're working somewhere, you can always shadow And then if you're, even if you want to become a sane nurse and you're not really sure, um, and I I guess it really depends on where you would be, what state, what jurisdiction, but you can always see if you can find a sane nurse and just say, hey, can you just tell me what does your job entail in this area? And I mean, people don't mind like just telling you a little bit about what they do, especially if it's like a specialty you haven't really heard of because they're used to that. So just don't be afraid. Um just handle it like Char, I guess. I got really lucky, but I mean, you just kind of have to put yourself out there and just take some risks because the thing is, um, it, you're not going to hurt yourself by just trying the risk. If it didn't work out, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Go to the next one. Absolutely. That's the good thing about nursing. Yeah. So. Um, I would say some advice or tips, you know, like Sarah said, just go for it and act. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, for me, a big part of it was just passion and determination. So like if you realize that you're passionate about something, just go for it. Like you're at work and you notice this really bothers me. Like this process bothers me or this thing over here bothers me. That probably means that there's something in you that wants it to be better. And usually that's what pushes people forward to create a change. So if you feel that way, don't just like, you know, we tend to complain but like you get to like change it you get to like be the person that says hey let's do this differently let's fix this process and make this easier for you know xyz so i really encourage everyone to like think about those little things like what what keeps ticking you off every second or um things like that and just go for it like do it (laughs) i hope you've enjoyed today's podcast episode there were so many gems dropped but let's be honest Who got time to replay, pause, and write down all that information shared? Shoo, I know I don't. But don't worry, I got you. Download Toby Talk's app on Google Play for nursing resources, definitions, and so much more that were mentioned on today's episode. Toby Talk app features show notes that timelines the conversation and lets you click directly to the resource or definition. And it even lets you bookmark the gem for later. Listen, we're too busy learning how to save lives or even saving lives as nurses to deal with a replay button. Toby Talk app is your one-stop shop for podcast episodes and show notes. For more on Toby Talks, like the blogs and videos, go to my website at www.tobytodge.com. And you know I love to hear from you guys, so feel free to slide into my DMs on IG or Facebook and hit me up through email. That's tobytalks at tobytodge.com. Again, that's tobytalks at tobytodge.com. Till next time, I'll be talking to you soon.